Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Attention, attention, which is, of course, French for Achtung, Achtung. And nice to do French. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Obvious, but yeah, obvious, never done it. but we never done it. An entirely suitable language for us to begin this show, given that we're going to talk about exclusively about Operation Market Garden, which came about as the Allied forces attempted to end the war of attrition in France and Belgium by breaking through the German lines with a dashing pencil-like blow... Oh, now, for those who, are, uh, who know this story inside out, I apologise, but we're going to take it step by step right from the planning stage through to the bloody denouement on the banks of the Nader Rhine with the destruction of the British 1st Airborne Division. Now, today, if you've downloaded, as soon as the pod's available, is September the 17th, 2019. 75 years ago, 30 Corps launched itself up what became known as Hell's Highway and the paras jumped from the sky and the glider men soared from the ether to their fate. Right, well, James Holland, the book by Cornelius Ryan and the subsequent blockbuster film were called A Bridge Too Far, weren't they? But, I mean, they absolutely were. So there's no avoiding that um, uh, uh, phrase when discussing this, is there? You, you can't avoid it, but it's interesting, isn't it? It's one of those, I, I think, Market Garden, Arnhem, that, uh, uh, the narrative of it has been conditioned by a Hollywood movie and obviously a book as well, more than just about any other aspect of the Second World War, I would, I would argue. You know, oh, even more so than D-Day and stuff. More, more, m- much more than D-Day because 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 the longest day movie, which is a, a, also Cornelius Ryan, um, based on his book, isn't yep. it? D- doesn't doesn't end asking loads of questions. It ends going, "See, we did it." Yep. And that yeah, was yeah, the beginning yeah. of the end. I've actually, I've actually been to to see the Cornelius Ryan collection because he was an Irish journalist. Um, his his papers were given to Ohio University, which is in Athens, Ohio. Yeah, and and you can go to the library there and you can check it out. And he's got all sorts of stuff there, like Tojo's um, cigarette case and various other bits and pieces and maps and so on. But you can have a look at all the original interviews he did. And what's really interesting is that he didn't do he did very few of them. He had a whole load of researchers. He went around doing all the interviews. Oh, really? Yep. And and you can see the transcriptions of them all. And what's really interesting is what are not included. Yeah. No one from the Air Force at all. Yeah. I mean, just no well, we, yes, well, so far we, too much of Jim Gavin. Well, we'll get. We, well, yes. So we, we, I'm going to get to him. Don't worry. Right. So the thing is, is I think what we should probably try and do is outline Market Garden for the, the, like the plan at least. The, the, for the uninitiated. For the uninitiated, but also to discuss. I think because there are there are some very uh, let's say hot hot potatoes that go with this or persistent um, uh, loads of bollocks. Yeah, persistent bollocks. Um, so the state of the war. Let's so let's say because the the plan is signed off on the tenth of September. Yes, and it's uh, Browning, uh, and Montgomery and Ike sign off on the thing. Yep. So it, Ike approves this plan, right? Yes. We've all Browning then goes back to First Allied Airborne Army. Goes, hey chaps, I've got this plan, and you're going to have to plan it now. Yep. Um, and. And it's based on our previous air plan for Operation Linnet because famously, and it's a thing people talk about a lot, First Airborne had um, uh, loads and loads of plans cancelled on them after D-Day. Yep. I think it is 17 operations, is that Something right? like that, yes. And Linnet is, is the one that gets 
closest to happening. Yeah. Uh, and the idea is that as the Allies are breaking out of Normandy and hur- hurling first, what they're doing is they're creating a corridor. Yeah. So they go and capture key bridges, which means that our, our boys can just hurtle straight on through. But as it happens, they hurtle through without the need yeah. for it. There's Linit 1, Linit 2. Yes. Right? So, so these plans are born of a period of the war where the Germans have been defeated at Falaise. The, 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 the Western here has basically been completely um, smashed by the Allies. And the Allies are rolling forward, taking enormous amount of territory very, very quickly. The Germans have seemed to be in a state of complete collapse. First of September, Hitler, Hitler um, describes, the, describes the collapse um, around Lille as... Uh, I can't remember the word he used, a Freiheit, which I think means like a complete... like uh, em- <laughs> Yeah, but a complete embarrassment, like a complete... like, uh, uh, like A shaming, shaming right moment, right? And so what you have... Is the is the Germans are falling apart, and they are definitely appear to be the wheels seem to have completely come off. And there's a yep. mass panic. You're taking Antwerp, really a very important port, very very quickly. No one quite knows the point at which the Germans are going to totally implode. Totally implode. And from the start of the war, there's been this idea that at some point the thing will fall in like a pack of cards, yep. and all you got to do is kick the door in. So, the plan here is to. Ad- to, to do what we've just talked about. There's a series of... To, to create a corridor. And there's a series of bridges that run up all the way through Holland that culminate with the Nader Rhine at the top, at the north in Arnhem, which is the last tributary of the Rhine, because the Rhine shatters and splits as it, into, goes, into, as it, as it runs across... And the, yeah, and across the, Holland. Because Holland is the Rhine's floodplain, basically. And so the idea is, so that you can... You, 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 you can get round the Rhine, you go up the Rhine, up the Rhine, turn right and you're into Germany. You encircle the Ruhr, which is where the Germans make their planes, their tanks, their rifles. And that basically means Germany can't resist anymore. Game over. And that's what Montgomery proposes here. He, he's also got the political pressure from London of V1 and V2s being fired from Holland because, I mean, we're, I'm, we're, we're here in Chiswick. We're about a mile, as the crow flies, the direction I'm pointing right now, across my garden, from Staveley Road, where the first uh, uh, V1 detonates, um, and it's fired from Rotterdam, right. um, uh, from a suburb that looks exactly the same in Rotterdam. They pull up on a crossroads in Rotterdam, fire it from there, it lands here in Chiswick. So Montgomery's under this pressure... And none of the American generals are under this pressure, political pressure from... Also, don't forget that since since the sort of first week of August, um, the Americans have numerically taken over the superiority in in North-West Europe. So the other other really important important thing is... To make sure that Britain is at the top table at the end of the war, because Britain is the one that's in Europe, not America. And it's very important that Britain plays a part in shaping what the post-war Europe looks like, um, for very, very good reasons. So there are all very, very fine reasons that... For, for political reasons, for Monty um, and his 21st Army Group taking the lead in the charge into Germany. And it's not just about his ego. There are no, political considerations which yeah. are above Monty. Well, and you've had, and you've, what you've also had, you've had this reshuffle. So Montgomery, he gets promotion, promoted and turned into field marshal and then effectively demoted because Ike takes over all, all control. You're, up to this point, it, it, Technically, Montgomery has been in charge of the of, overall of, of, Allied of Land overall la- Allied Land Commander. Even though uh, Bradley has also been, been beefed doing, up to an army group commander, and he's been doing his own thing, and, yeah. and and they've all been doing their own thing actually, and they'll meet every now and again, discuss what they're going to do, and then go and do their own thing. Yeah. But but on September the tenth, when this is agreed to, Bradley is 
told that he's not getting the petrol he needs because because it's going over to Montgomery. But Ike does this thing of basically agreeing with the last person he's spoken to. So he signs off on Market Garden and then signs off on a load of other things that arguably contradict that effort. But there is when Montgomery goes and has this meeting with Eisenhower, what he's not expecting is to have to argue for Margate Garden. What, no. his, what his prime objective is, is to argue for the northern approach into Germany, which would, because of the geographical positioning, would be a British-dominated thrust yeah. into northern Germany, around the top, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and he is expecting to be able to persuade Eisenhower to do that. And Eisenhower goes, well, no. Uh, um, and the reason Montgomery suggests this is obviously political reasons, partly it's ego, but it's also partly because, as he argues, there are closer ports which will relieve the kind of port yep. burden because yep. most of the supplies for the Allied forces in the ETO, the European Theatre of Operations, are still coming through the Normandy. Yeah. Uh, and the reason they're coming through Normandy is because although the Canadians have now captured um, most of the um, most of the ports along the along the coast, they're all shattered and in complete state and can't are, are non-functioning. Um, but Eisenhower goes, well, actually, that's not going to work because we've also got Patton's Third Army already going down through the centre and he's making great progress. And actually, I don't want this to be a completely British-dominated thing. Um, and so Montgomery goes, oh, OK. Uh, well, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting to persuade you to my way of thinking. Well, plan B then, what about Operation Market Garden, which yeah. has already been gestating, partly through Linnet and partly because of Operation Comet. Yes, so Comet... Um, for those that th- those that don't know, Comet is the is the last cancelled operation before Market Garden. Comet is basically Market Garden, but with just First Airborne Division doing British First Airborne Division and doing doing everything that no 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 Comet Comet Comets um Arnhem all the way all the way. To I thought the plan was to go to oh, no, go, no, Comet. Comet two forms of Comet. Yeah yeah. But one the, which the, is to go to Vasor, yeah, one is to go yeah, to Arnhem. But the Comet that then uh, yeah, there's the Arnhem Comet and 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 First Parachute Brigade then use their same plan. For Comet, um, for Arnhem itself. I mean, what's really interesting about this is six airborne division after Normandy. They do it. They do a like a, a review, and they go right. Okay, airborne divisions. What they need is a load of planning, like really thorough planning. We need to be relieved really quickly because we're very light troops. We um, uh, <laughs> we what we really need is a good air plan because the air plan we had in Normandy, because it was done at night. Um, was pretty much all over the place. So what you've got going on as well is six airborne after Normandy. You know, Pegasus Bridge, Merville Battery, yep. um, uh, Bridges and Tehran, which we've uh, uh, which we've talked about, um, uh, Bois de Bavon, all that stuff, holding the right flank, uh, uh, holding the le- Allied left flank. Um, they sit down and they do a like what we have learned from airborne operations so far, and they say what we need is loads of planning, and they benefited from loads of planning. Loads of planning and rehearsal. Can't do anything ad hoc with airborne ops. Don't work. Yeah, right? and there's plenty of, uh, of of examples of that. Sicily, North, North Africa. Africa. The disaster in North Africa. I mean, the, 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 the thing, of course, I mean, First Airborne's previous experience with taking a bridge is Primasole Bridge in Sicily, where the ground forces are late, yep. they're evicted from the bridge, and they have to retake the thing at Bayonet Point, right? Yep. With the help of the DLR. With the help, with the help of, the, of being relieved, the ground forces relieving them. So, so six airborne say, you know, lots of planning. You yep. need to be relieved really quickly. We will... And let's not forget the glider effort on Ponte Grande, yep. south of Syracuse, 144 gliders, yeah. only four get yeah. into the right drop zone yeah, yeah. out so, of 144. Yeah, yeah. Because after all, the picture of all airborne operations right up to this point actually is they're, they're extremely chaotic and often disastrous. You know, Crete is this epically disastrous victory for the Germans. It's sort of 
almost a perfect example of a modern Pyrrhic victory. Yes. Right, but so six airborne do their risk. The, th- the third thing six airborne says there's no way air resupply can ever keep the ammunition going in a fight in a battle like this. They get through their mortar and small arms ammunition at a rate just they, like that. just like that, that they simply didn't expect. And they and they so they basically could basically conclude that you can't plan these things in a hurry. You need to be relieved really, really quickly. And um, whatever you do, um, have a really great air plan that delivers everyone in all in one place at once. And by the way, air resupply is a, is a pipe dream. Yeah, forget it. Right? Market garden. Uh, you're not relieved. The, the, the plan is not to be relieved quickly. It's to, you know, because Normandy... It's to take and hold. Normandy, they're relieved within hours. It's to take, so at Market Garden is to be relieved many days later, two days later, which is an awfully long time. Yes. Right? It's dependent on air resupply. It's got, it's got a good air plan because the air plan, after all, is a massive success. And the drops they do on D-Day on 17th September are regarded by everyone involved as like an exercise. You can form up, you can actually deliver in force in a way you couldn't on D-Day. And they make this big decision that one thing you can't do is deliver this at night because yes, it's well, yes. and you can't well, see night, night, night is the really, really, we can't do this at night. Just and there is this bigger problem, isn't there, with airborne operations, which is that, that you've got... Uh, and this is a sort of um, a paradox that no no side ever quite gets around, which is that you've got the best motivated, best trained troops being delivered by the least trained aircraft. Well, and, well, and this is where well, it changes. Well, well, for that, well but, that, but that aside, I mean, uh, f- throughout the throughout the war, Allied airborne effort, they've never had the lift. So they have a division of soldiers, and they can only ever deliver two brigades. And and this what never happens is the lift never catches up until no. Vasil, until Varsity in, in March of forty five, right. where finally they have the air capacity to deliver the airborne soldiers they've got. So what's got to happen is you've got to compromise on the lifts. Now in the, what they do in Market Garden, when when Browning decides to pitch Market Garden and gets Market Garden away, he says, "We'll use the air plan from Operation Linnet," and and. Operational in it, part of the air plan, because, it, because everything's closer to, to, to Britain for Linnet, part of the air plan is you'll tow two uh, Waco gliders, American gliders, per Dakota. Market Garden's too far away for that, so immediately the American glider lift is halved, immediately. And Browning gets back to, back to the UK, goes to the first Allied Airborne Army um, uh, air planners, and they go, well, we can't, you've sold this on an air plan we can't use. So immediately, the thing six airborne say, you need a good air plan that will definitely work. Immediately, it's undercut by the fact that he did. Browning didn't know this, and he just thought all things are possible, and that my chaps will be able to pull this off. So, so you've right from the start, right from the start of this operation. As long on, as we're optimistic, I'm sure we can win. Well, through. and and this is the thing that absolutely characterises. Market Garden, because you've got the first Allied Airborne Army, and when the first Allied Airborne Army is deployed, it's only been going six weeks. It's, the paint's not yet drying it. There's no overall commander. There's no one actually in charge of Operation Market Garden. There's no one, although Browning then insists on having his headquarters delivered in a big chunk of the glider lift on D-Day to Nijmegen, he's not actually in charge of the thing. And I what can, Raritan is overall. Well, he's in charge, but he's an airman. Yeah. So he's not in charge of it in a, in a unit. There's no unified command. There's right. not one guy going. So the airmen are all going, well, whatever works for our air crew. And the army are going, well, whatever works for us. Yeah. And no one, they never meet in the middle. Yeah. And, and then you get the scandal of Cunningham at, at the tactical air force end saying, no one ever asked, no one ever asked me whether they wanted um, 
tactical air cover for this operation. That's amazing, isn't it? He actually said that, and they never asked. And what you get, you what you get is because there's there's one school of thought that says what Montgomery's trying, arguably what Montgomery's trying to do here is a sort of Napoleonic knockout blow. Yeah. But his boss is a is a broad front guy, and his boss is thinking on an operational level this will buy us an advantage. Eisenhower's thinking yeah. bias, the local this is this is absolutely not because from Eisenhower's point of view this is just one operation of many in that autumn it isn't the operation yes whereas Monty absolutely Mon- is Montgomery's the approaching it as the operation I mean there's no let up with, with Patton's third army there's no. no let up with the plans to, to um, the plans that are being developed to yeah. come take the shell tester yeah. by the Canadians and so to go back to yes. Comet so Comet the original Comet is to do what we think of as Market Garden with 1st Airborne Division um, with coup de main parties, gliders mm-hmm. taking the bridges individually and, and, and it's planned for a week earlier. And you could sort of see maybe the German front would have fallen in on itself possibly. But General Hackett, Brigadier, well, Brigadier Hackett then describes it as one of those plans where they serve up the soldiers like salad or relish for the Germans to eat. And, and the idea with Comet, they then look at, they then look, they then get intelligence that there's Panzer SS refitting in Arnhem so Comet's off because you're not delivering enough soldiers and this is one of the great great myths about Arnhem is that that they didn't know or they knew about the panzers in Arnhem and they ignored the intel it's the opposite they knew about the panzers in Arnhem so they added two divisions to the to the battle plan put a whole British division at Arnhem rather than just a parachute brigade and put in 101st Airborne at the bottom of the corridor at Zon and Eindhoven essentially to take the first set of bridges 82nd with the responsibility to take the bridges that ran that, that run up to the main bridge at Nijmegen, which yep. is one of the which is we always remember the bridges with enormous spans on because they're the ones in the film. But actually, you know, Holland is Holland is one long rolling waterway. So yes, there's exactly. low, lots of well, lots so how of, many bridges are there in total? Something it, like it's, eleven. It's eleven or something. If you I think if you include the railway bridge at Arnhem as well, because of course there's the railway bridge at Arnhem that they failed to take because it's blown up right in right. front of them on the on the day when the first party get there. So it's such a, it's an ambitious plan, but if you're not going to give it full bore effort, which is arguably what happens, even though there's no denying this is, this is the biggest this is the biggest airborne operation of the war. It's 33,000 men are going to be deployed yep. by air. The sheer scale of it, and of course, one of the things that happens with with, with Market Garden is you have to park all the um, air resupply to make this happen. So. Part of the decision of, 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 of green lighting it is, well, we've, we've, been, we've rejigged all our air resupply. We're going to have to do this because otherwise the last two weeks when we've not been using our transport command, our troop carriers for resupply, will have been a waste of everyone's yep. time and effort. Yep. So they get trapped in a, we got to do this But also, I mean, mentality. more than that, you know, you've got an allied airborne army. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no point in having an allied airborne army if you ain't going to use it. And... You know, at this stage of the war, where the Germans do seem to have collapsed, I know that, you know, there was a tweet this morning by Jonathan Ware saying, you know, we failed to take intelligence lessons from Normandy. Well, that's as maybe, but the fact of the matter is, the Germans have just been walloped. You know, yes, of course, there's still motivated fanatical SS types, and, you know, there is a kind of level of military discipline to the Germans that you've always got to take on board. But if you can... Pull it off. Well, also, then, then the the riches, the rewards are, are potentially you, you end the war. Many. You end the war by, by Christmas, and, and you've got these resources, you've got these assets. Even if you're not using them exactly as you ought to, you've still got them. So you might as well use them. Yeah, 
Yeah, but and, it, and it is a risk, and there's lots of ponderables, and there's lots of things that all depend on one another, and and the plan might well go awry, and indeed, obviously, it does. But as a punt, it's not an unreasonable one, I don't think. And you know what? Um, when Anthony Beaver's book about Arnhem came out last year, General Mike Jackson wrote a brisk thing saying, "I reckon, from my point of view, and he's a para, so he would yeah. say this. Um, look, 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 look. The risks were worth taking. I see that now, even at 75 years distance, which is, I think, really." Just, Did he? I yeah, didn't know yeah, 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 really interesting. Well, so, 30 core is ready. The Irish guards are all set to lead them up what will become known as Hell's Highway. A suitable moment to have a comfort break before we strap ourselves into those parachute harnesses. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. I'm Al Murray. With me is James Holland, of course. Um, and we're... We're grappling with we're grappling the nettle. We're grasping the nettle <laughs> right now. The Battle of Arnhem. Um, in the first half, we tried to get through the eight talking points we've been given, and we did three. Um, that's kind of part of the course, especially with this this um, enormous subject. Now we talked a little. We touched on the planning. I touched on, uh, and we're going to get to who Browning is because we keep Browning's name. Yes. the planning cycle for Market Garden. Yeah, I mean, I just think this is absolutely remarkable because I think when, I think the first comet is is due to be launched on something like the sixth, seventh of September. Then that's that's cancelled. Then, as we were talking about a moment ago, the decision to go with Market Garden is made on the tenth of September, yeah. with a view that it will be launched on the seventeenth. That's a week. Now, a week to coordinate all those different things. So first of all, you've got, you've got the air plan. Yeah. Then you've got British plan. Yeah. You've got American plan. Then you've got to coordinate that with the with the ground plan. Yeah. Not only has 30 Core got to charge up Hell's Highway, it's also got to, there's also got to be an artillery plan and barrage, which is going to open the whole thing, which has got to yeah. be coordinated as well. That is a heck of a lot of moving parts, <coughs> a lot of <coughs> plates to juggle. Yeah. And all that has got to be brought together. Uh, and one of the things that one has to understand, I think, with Market Garden is inevitably on a seven-day planning cycle. And actually, it's not really seven days, is it? Because the decision is made at the end of the 10th, uh, and then there's, you know, you know, the actual launch is on the 17th. So really, effectively, it's only six days. Yeah. That is just not enough time. And, of course, mistakes are going to happen because you simply cannot coordinate that in that period of time. You just think about the, the process of creating the airborne plan for D-Day for example, and how long that took yeah. and, and the changes that happened and the development and how they kind of upped the plan and how they thought about it and how they coordinated the actual troops that are going to be dropped with the with the, um, with the the airlift and all the rest of it and how it was going to be folded into the bigger plan. None of that for Market Garden. But that's why... That, so you can see why they're cannibalising previous um, operational plans because... Because you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, because it's rolling so fast. I mean, this is—I mean—one of the interesting things, isn't it? Is because you, you can look at this through the prism of O. Montgomery and his cautious Montgomery, and, and a lot of that was coming from people like Cunningham, who's head of tactical air force, and from Lee Mallory and people like that, accusing. The, on this occasion, where he's not being cautious, they hang it. They leave him. They leave him uh, hanging out to dry. <laughs> yeah. And don't support him. So, so that's all. Anyway, so the idea is, you put airborne soldiers all the way up this corridor. It's 100 miles of road, but it's sort of 66 miles behind enemy lines, the, yes. the final prize, the Arnhem Bridge. And you capture these bridges all the way up this up this corridor, through Holland, through basically half of Holland. Yes. And you hold those bridges, and then you drive a division up, up the road. I mean, it... And they support... then. So, so what happens is, is at Arnhem, which is the end of the line, yep. you've got the British 
first airborne division with the Polish first parachute brigade as well. We, they've landed and they've taken the bridge. They're holding it, waiting to be reinforced. So it's it's kind of it's the same principle as as the British airborne drop on on D-Day, which is that you take your high ground, you take the key bridges, blow up the bridges you don't want, uh, and you wait for the uh, commandos and yeah. special service force to come up and, and, and reinforce you. It's the same principle, Except, but on a miles bigger scale. Well, well, or, arguably, it's outside... British conception for airborne forces up to this point has been about um, taking bridges or holding flanks and stuff yeah. for um, maritime landings, you know, for... for, for yes. F- and this isn't that. No, that is true. So suddenly, airborne forces... And quite clearly, you form this Allied airborne army, and it's having to go. Oh God, what do we do now? Right, yep. because the because the thing we've been the thing we were created for doesn't exist anymore. Which I think is, is a good point to go back to creation of airborne forces and the people behind that. So we keep mentioning this guy um, Browning now, Boy, Frederick Boy Browning, uh, married to Daphne du Maurier, Amazing. the novelist, um, super posh. Uh, mega connected guardsman, yeah. Um, uh, kind of one of those kind of people who connect, royal connections, all that sort of stuff. When the Germans use airborne forces, and most famously at Eben Mal in 1940, where they capture a fort in Belgium, they land some gliders on the fort, they capture the fort. The British think, especially because it's Churchill, who's always kind of looking for ways of snazzy ways of doing things rather than necessarily um, conventional ways of doing things. Thinks I'll have a I'll have a piece of that action. Get me an airborne force. And this is the same time he sets up. But originally it's conceived to be a brigade, a single yeah, brigade. Exactly, a single brigade. And it's a raiding force originally. So the most famously, and, and, and John Frost is the guy who famously is the man at Arnhem Bridge, who's the, the, the highest ranking officer at Arnhem Bridge. It's not just his guys, it's other people. Let's not get bogged down in that. Played by Anthony Hopkins in the film, as you all know, um, those of you who've seen the film. He, he is involved in the Bruneval raid, which is a famous raid where um, him and his men, his company, take a, a, a radar that's on the French coast that they know that the Germans have got and they, they really want to have a proper look at it. And so he lands with, and I think with a couple of RAF technicians and a scientist even, and they, they steal the radar and out they go. And it's 100% successful. And that is the only 100% successful operation that John Frost is involved in the whole war. Company level, very, very contained operation, very, very clear objective, relieved immediately, bugger off as yeah. soon as you've done the thing. Yeah, it, it, it's, a command, it's a small commando raid. Yeah. And the thing, but, but dropping with parachute. parachute. The thing that then happens to him in North Africa... Is a total fiasco. He wanders around for several days in right. northern Tunisia. Sent to take airfields. They're dropped, they're, they're, most of the men don't even know where they're being sent. The yeah. intel's completely empty. They're miles behind lines. They fight. They have to do this massive fighting retreat on foot out of the bit of North Africa they're dropped in yeah. for they're, they're nothing. absolutely nothing. Yeah. But they do get back. And then... Uh, but they do get. But they do get back... And then, of course, and then famously, you stand on them. So, so what? I mean, but that is, I mean, it is amazing because you think about that operation in Tunisia. But, but basically, so you've got some highly motivated, highly trained troops dropped into Tunisia, achieves absolutely nothing, and they do this incredible, heroic, yeah, um, yomp back to Allied lines, and that's it. Yeah, but achieves zip. Absolutely achieves nothing. So, airborne forces, though, uh, 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 at one point, a kind of an army without, uh, like, a, an idea without a role. And then they get keyed into Husky. And the idea is you use them for flanks and bridges and stuff to make it easier for the force landing from the sea to achieve its objectives. And Browning, in the meantime, has to start with, he builds the first parachute brigade. 
then another one comes along, then you get an air landing component, which is people flying in by glider, who tend to be light infantry who get converted, get told, you're now in gliders, lads. And, and Well, Frost himself's life, he's Somerset light infantry, isn't he, to start off with? Yes, I mean, he's so, in a yeah. rock, isn't he, at one yeah. point? Yeah, 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 something. and they're all from all over, and a lot of... But in a lot, a lot of from the, India as well. Yeah, and a lot... and a, Yeah, yeah, and 156 are from North Africa, and a lot who are in 4th Parachute Brigade. A lot of people, though, are from a guardsman, so the original... First two parachute battalions, first three parachute battalions, there are lots of guardsmen in them. So they're sort of motivated, they're keyed up, they get jump pay, psychological assessment, um, all this sort of stuff. And they're very much regarded as cream of the crop people. But they don't have anything to do. And this is, this, this I think, is what's really interesting, is characterises Arnhem in a way. Because you've got this, this force that, that's... that's the patron is this super connected mega schmoozer, Browning, you know, with super shiny boots, very snazzy guy, learned to fly in a glider to show he wasn't afraid of anything. And he's really good at persuading people that he's got this sort of Swiss Army knife yep. force at his disposal. And I've it, got an idea. Are you in? Yeah, exactly. And so, so, the, but, but, and at every stage of its development, the airlift isn't there because the RAF are going, no, we're not, we're not interested in doing that. We're not interested in using our good air crew on this, ferrying your blokes about. We've we got, we got a bomber war to win. We've got a fighter war to win. We're just not interested. So at every step, the air, the air component is, bu- is behind. But I mean, it, the, but Market Garden is this moment where they have this stuff at this disposal. There's, a, there's an opportunity and they take it. Yeah, and, I, and and you can totally understand why. Yeah, yeah. You know, they are, these are, you know, when were we talking about the kind of classification of soldiers, A, B, C, and D? You know, yeah. the, the, these are, you know, your A's are the ones, that, these are your adrenaline junkies. These yeah. are people who would, you know, modern days would climb Everest yeah. or kind of, you know, parachute off a yeah. Mont Blanc or something. Yeah. You know, these are those men. And they're just absolutely, you know, they joined the parachute. Um, regiment because they wanted to be something special and elite yeah. and exclusive and 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 they're gung ho yeah and so that most of them are absolutely itching to get involved which, which can lead to them not really looking at some of the detail and absolutely and famously also you've got this kind of problem with them where like for instance the the, the plan to take Primoselli Bridge is way too complicated and there's a yeah. there's a tendency towards overcomplicate. If they've got time to plan a thing, they tend to overcomplicate the plan. Yeah. You know, like the Mayville plan, the Mayville battery plan, Otway's plan, it's pretty complicated. Um, and, well, the and interesting thing about Primasoli Bridge is is that they the, the landing zones are called Johnny 1, Johnny 2, Johnny 3, I think. Yeah. Um, and the first first elements of the first Fauschenjäger division, first German parachute division, are also dropped in on exactly the same drop zones literally two hours earlier. Yeah. Yeah, and because they've got the same helmet, more or less, no one and they've, and they've got smocks. Yeah, and it's dark by the time they were, the British are all down. Da- you know, it's getting dusk by the time they're all down. No one can actually tell who's who. Yeah, I mean, but that's a again chaos, chaos and confusion are uh, air- go hand in hand. Go hand in hand operations. with airborne operations. Yeah, there's chaos confusion now at Johnny One's and Johnny Two, which has yeah. now turned into a huge fly tipping place. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and if you're a Sicilian and you and you want to get a little bit of extra mar- marital oats, that's where you go to meet prostitutes. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I, I've, you know, the, the, James, a, a great, how did you know a, that? Well, because a great mate of mine, he's, he's um, oh. who's written about. Um, no, he don't worry. He hasn't done anything like that. <laughs> uh, um, he's um, he's written about gliders, and he used to be in the army, army air corps. And he was leading the, uh, an army group there, and and he led them up to Johnny One, Johnny Two, and there was some Italian having 
having his way with a, with a prostitute, and they literally sort of stepped over them. And excuse me, I'm just going to look at the <laughs> British <laughs> drop zone from 1943. <laughs> it's an absolutely horrible place. Right. Anyway, now, I so I mean, the thing is, is we've we've sort of a, a legion of myths, or not myths, or conceptions at least, or misconceptions, or uh, ways of looking at them. But let's the, the most famous thing is first airborne don't land near the bridges. And that's very often seen as the error, the mistake, yeah. the thing that makes all the difference, the thing that in the end, had they done that differently, maybe it would have turned out differently. And of yeah. course, we could get to 82nd Airborne in Nijmegen who don't take the bridge. But what, the, what we got, why, why was there not what's called a coup de main, which is like gliders landing directly on the bridge, like a Pegasus bridge? Why didn't they do that in Arnhem? That's yeah. the... That's the I don't know the answer to that. Why well, I know they? the answer. Okay, t- t- tell me, Anne. Well, I want well, to know. well, it's the flak at Arnhem. Ah, yes, of course. So Arnhem, because there's a great big bridge there, has all sorts of flak defences right. built built in around. There's a bridge. It's works. not like a bunch of sleepy hospitalians at Pegasus no. Bridge. They're no. going to get decimated. Exactly, and and we also we're talking about we're talking about daylight because yep. nighttime drops have been ruled out. Yep. And we're also talking about um, not quite joined up air plans, so that so flak suppression probably. Although they did do a lot of flax pressure. Flax pressure is not quite on the menu as it might be. Yep. And you, Airborne Myth tells the story that, that General Gale, who was in charge of Six Airborne. Windy. Windy Gale, because it's, it's, you know, it's yeah. a, the land of easy nicknames, yeah. unfortunately. Windy Gale, the story is he gets, he gets wind of, uh, <laughs> pardon the pun, of the Arnhem plan and the fact there's no coup de man in it. And the... The, the, the legend is he goes to General Urquhart, Major General Urquhart, Roy Urquhart, who's the, who's the General Officer Commanding uh, First Airborne Division, and he goes to him and says, if I were handed that airplane, I'd resign. You should quit over this. You should insist on a coup de main party on the, on, the, on the bridge. And Chatterton, who was the guy that ran the glider pilot regiment, also volunteered some of his chaps. He said, we'll do this. We don't care. But the air planners troop carrier people are going no I we're not interested in losing crew it's too dangerous crew, crew and precious aircraft because we have a job the rest of the year round which is resupply yeah um we're not we're not interested in expending our crew on your on your jolly because they didn't see it as they didn't see it as a unified right um command so you don't get the coup de main of course the, there is an argument that say you do put a coup de main on the on the bridge it draws m- and it's a small party. It draws more German reinforcements to the bridge. They destroy the coup de main party, and then Frost never gets his opportunity to take the bridge. The thing with the what ifs in Arnhem is every lever you pull changes things in a in a yeah. in a different direction. But the main drop is around Usterbeck. I mean, I know yes. there's yes. other yes. drops. The main, yes, the main and that's, the main that's drop sort of five to the main seven drop. Miles it, away, yes, it's it? a it's a the furthest away. A Ginkelheider, which fourth parachute brigade drop on the on the second day, and they drop late because of bad weather, but because immediately the weather goes wrong. And of course, that's the other thing. Six Airborne said you need the weather on your side. Yeah. Um, uh, that that's nine. The furthest point that's nine miles from the bridge. Right. But they weren't there to invest the bridge. They were there to come in and take the yeah, top it, end of the yeah, town. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because the because the plan was to hold the whole town. Right. Um, not not just yes. the bit around the crust around the bridge is what they end up doing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, and also that kind of distance, although it's, it's going to take time, it's not as discombobulating as doing that at night. I mean, no. one of the interesting things about, about that we've already discussed about, about Overlord and the airborne plan for that is, you know, why, do they, why, why does it take the Americans particularly so long to get themselves together when actually 
75% of those that are dropped actually do so within five miles of a drop zone, which isn't so desperately far yeah. if you're a fit young man, yeah. you know, an hour and a half max. Yeah. You know, how, how hard can it be? Yeah. Well, it is really hard because if you don't know where your start point is and it's dark... There's uh, no way of getting to your rendezvous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but at daylight, everything changes, which, of course, is the reason why they're doing it in daylight. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. six miles is nothing. Yeah. Well, to fit, keyed up, people ready to go. And, of, co- and of course, people do get to the bridge on the first day yeah. in, in quite large numbers. It's, the, yeah. it's everyone else who gets held up, and we will get to that. Because because that's the that's the that's the meat of it. That's the, the it, nub it, of the whole it thing. really it really really is. And uh, anyway, we should talk brief. We should talk about thirty core at least. I mean, one yeah. of the things we're not doing, and this is the symptomatic of British people talking about honours. We've not really talked about the Germans very much, which kind of um, uh, goes with the planning. Well, they, know, don't or, make, they don't make. I mean, the, the, but 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 well, uh, Walter the, Modal makes some pretty catastrophic yeah. mistakes himself. Yes, he does. And, and, and the, but the thing, because the, we talked about Six Airborne doing their assessment of what happened in Normandy, what the Germans do is they do their assessment of what happens in Normandy. Yes. Um, the airborne landing. And they say, right, what you do is it, it doesn't matter who you've got to hand, you feed men into this battle. And the one thing that, air, allied, that airborne soldiers are always short of is, is, ammo. is ammo and time. So, and so what you do is you get them to use up their ammo and you you delay them, yep. and anything you can do to delay them um, will help you win the battle. Do you know what? I've I've seen some of those original training briefs that, of those sort of lessons learned yeah. in battle training briefs that, that, that of which were legion. The Germans were, were were writing them up and producing them and sending them out the whole time. The yeah. whole time, uh, and I've actually got copies of those, and I've and I've read I've read the one relating to that, and it says exactly that point. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's had, out of Normandy, and everyone had got the memo. Yeah, yeah. and 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 so. What you get is you get um, on as soon as the landings happen. There's an SS training battalion out and about um, uh, near Oosterbeek, and their guy Kraft, who's in charge, goes right. Um, everyone, grab your rifle. We're heading towards where those people are parachuting, and we are going to try and delay them anywhere yep. we can. And he writes a report afterwards where he goes on what an amazing soldier he is and how cool these guys were and how he, yep. he saved the day. He's not the first person to big himself but, but, up. He, no, he's not the first person to big himself up. But 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 he's right, and his any delay. Any delay that the, par- that is the, a good the delay. first airborne experience on day, on their f- within the first few hours of landing is basically good for the Germans, and he basically he holds up two battalions very successfully, um, uh, and that's the you know had you had you oh, here's one of the what ifs we're going to pull the what if lever of what if the whole of first parachute brigade had got to the bridge, well they'd have, they'd have probably held held on. Yep. long enough, but then the Germans would have probably made a, even more of an effort to dislodge them. Or they'd have blown Nijmegen Bridge and yeah, yeah. it would have been that anyway. But but yeah, the d- d- delay is the thing. And the Germans know delay and it doesn't matter what costs you, what it costs you. And of course the Germans... Because you're German and you're prepared to yeah, expend yeah, 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 yeah. So what happens is, tier, you know, so you've got, you've got reservists, kids, ear and stomach battalions, which are famously, yeah. you know, deaf people and people with um, uh, uh, proper... Yeah, of course. But, but the point as, as fed said, in and any, uh, you know, as far as they're concerned, a dead paratrooper is what they want. Yeah. So that's what they do. But but also it doesn't, you know, everyone sort of goes, well, you know, SS, often SS, clearly elite, you know, in inverted commas. But but actually, it just you don't need amazing amount of tra- training to fire a, to fire a, an MP40 or a machine gun. Well, an MP42 or, 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 up a road. I mean, up a road. It, it, it costs nothing, you know. It's yeah. sort of lie down on a road and fire it. Yeah. And and. And you just keep doing that. And what you need is 
discipline to do exactly what you're told, which is endemic in the German army because they're a militaristic, totalitarian well, and state. And also because we've had the July plot and people are being, yeah. officers are being remobilised by that, yeah. But, yeah. But, but, but that doesn't require an awful lot. That just no. requires people, that requires boots Whereas on the ground Whereas an airborne, airborne requires months of training, yep. uh, psychological evaluation, expensive kit, the great big air, air supremacy, not superiority, great big air force, blah, 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 and it can be stopped simply by... Um, uh, right people in the right place at the right time being stubborn, which is which is what, what happens. happens in Arnhem, yep. principally, I think. So now we have to talk about the cavalry, um, thirty corps. So yep. well, the thirty corps plan is is again, it's ambitious. You know, to move the whole of thirty corps through occupied territory, hundred miles by road, sixty odd as the crow flies, across. Ten bridges to get to the eleventh, or nine bridges to get to the tenth and eleventh. On one in road, in forty-eight hours. On one road. In one but, road, but but it's been done. Is the thing is this has been happening um, since Falaise. Yeah, so it's possible. It's a, but it's the same thing as as kind of sort of you know why why you know was it over ambitious to get to Con in in one day ten miles away? Well, it has been done because it's been done when they captured Syracuse a year before, yeah. which is ten miles away. It can be done, but. The whole point about our market garden, there's an awful lot of things that have got to go right for the whole plan to come together, and yeah. the chances of the, all of them going right is quite slim. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, you know, for the next eight days, either James or I will bring you a variety of content around this absorbing story. Um, as you can see, there is an awful lot to talk about, and we've... Scratched the service, have Scratched we? the service, got some opinions too. Um, I'm sure you have your opinions as well. But please, not just what you've seen in the movie. Ah! Um, yeah, and don't mention <laughs> leopards. Yeah, yeah, leopard tank in the... Oh, God damn it. Damn it. Yes. Right, so uh, please check in um, each day. Um, if you're listening to this on your morning commute, try to imagine the men 75 years ago today, some in planes preparing to jump out behind enemy lines to capture the all-important bridges, many in, more in tanks and armoured vehicles, smashing their way up the road to try and get to those same bridges. It was an extraordinarily ambitious plan, and it failed. More from us tomorrow. Yep, and we're going to be out on the ground, aren't we? We're going to yeah, be we are. out there... Talking to people, meeting people, seeing the places, looking at the gear, in, yep, the whole thing. Looking at the gear, the whole shebang. Can't wait. Cheerio. Hello, listeners. It's Anita Arnand here from the Goal Hanger sister podcast, Empire, which I host along with me, William Dalrymple. And we are here to tell you about our new series on the founding fathers, the men who made America. We wanted to look at the men who actually founded the country, who dreamt the dream, who wrote the words upon which a country would be born. What were they like? What made them do what they did? What did they actually believe in? And how did they come to play the role that they did in the American Revolution and the creation of America? What really interested me about this was the contradictions. I mean, we expect these men to be great figures. We've seen the portraits in the galleries. We, we know the faces from the banknotes. But they're deeply complex figures. But in that, and in that blend of contradiction and intellectual power and writing genius and curiosity and raw ability lies the nuance and complexity that allows us to understand them. And the United States is in many ways a reflection of them, their beliefs, their experiences. These are the men who wrote the Constitution. These are the men who created the federal system in every way. They are totally fundamental to what American politics looks like today. It all goes back to this extraordinary group of men. Yeah, and they have rip-roaring yarns as well, let me tell you. So if you want to know why America is the way it is and who the men were who made it, you can listen by searching Empire wherever you get your podcasts.